reporters are the scars of history, Robert Schumann, French statesman and one of the founders of the European Union, once said. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Diversity Conversations, the Fulbright podcast dedicated to diversity and inclusion. My name is Susanne Hamscher, and I'm the Regional Diversity Coordinator for Fulbright in Europe, Eurasia. What do borders have to do with diversity? Borders are lines of separation. They create a here and there, they draw a line between us and them, they demarcate nations, territories, communities that others may not enter without permission. This is what Schumann alludes to when he calls borders scars of history. When we talk about diversity and the inclusion of marginalized and minoritized groups of people, we need to address the practices that marginalize and minoritize these people in the first place. The drawing of borders of imaginary and at the same time very real lines of separation is one of these practices. But there is also a different side to borders and diversity which is worthwhile looking into. Borders are also lines of connection and they give rise to new identities. With me today is Astrid Fellner, Professor of North American Studies at Saarland University in Germany, Project Leader at Saarland University of the EU-funded Interreg Project Center for Border Studies of the University of the Greater Region, and Astrid is also a Fulbright Austria alumna. Astrid, can you tell us more about the Center for Border Studies and the research projects you and your colleagues are working on? Well, our Center for Border Studies is actually a truly cross-border center. We are located at six different universities in four countries in the so-called Greater Region, which is a geopolitical Euro region smack in the middle of Europe, which was created in order to promote economic, cultural, and social development and uh, cooperation. And it consists of Saarland, uh, the Rhineland uh, Palatinate in Germany, uh, Lorraine uh, in France, uh, and um, Luxembourg, and Wallonia, and the rest of the French community um, of uh, Belgium, as well as the German-speaking community of Belgium. And it is within a university network between six universities in this region, called the University of the Greater Region, that we have uh, developed a research network called the University of the Greater Region Center for Border Studies. And we're about 80 scholars in our six universities who work together in the field of border studies. We have a master's program, a tri-national and trilingual master in border studies, which I helped co-fund. Now, maybe I can say a little bit about uh, border studies, which is an interdisciplinary field of research that focuses on borders and different meanings and and various processes uh, that uh, are called de- and and uh, re-bordering. It's interdisciplinary, as I've said, with different perspectives coming from geography, politics, sociology, and increasingly also from cultural studies, uh, literary studies, and uh, linguistics. And as a, as a research field, border studies has developed on the promise that, or on the premise actually, that territorial borders are neither essentialist nor given. Uh, they actually are the, the product of processes. And uh, within this uh, growing field of studies, it is actually the U.S.-Mexican border, which remains the so-called iconic border. Border studies, you could say, basically developed in the United States and is very closely related to, at least within the humanities and social sciences, to U.S. Latino-Latina studies, particularly Chicano-Chicana studies. 
but uh, this is basically what we focus on in our Center for Border Studies. We have, as I said, uh, an MA program, but we also, of course, engage in, in research. We are, for instance, in the process of creating a, a tri-national online uh, glossary, which should constitute a comprehensive and, and interdisciplinary research database of definitions and explanations of key concepts. But apart from research, we also work very hard to develop a productive dialogue between researchers and the socio-economical institutional players in the greater region. So we offer a series of podium discussions which uh, form an interface, so to speak, between the fields of science, administration, politics, and citizens, really, and deal with current challenges of the greater region. So you've lived and worked in this um, border region for almost 10 years now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But border studies was already your main research area before you moved to Saarland, as you said. How did you become interested in border studies? Um, What is it about borders that fascinates you? Well, I studied at the University of Vienna. And I have been interested in uh, Chicano-Chicana studies since my MA studies, really, in the early 90s. However, when I wanted to write my MA thesis on uh, Chicano literature at that time, there was no one there who could supervise a thesis and no one had heard of Chicano studies, which is the reason why I decided to apply for a Fulbright. And, uh, and this is how I ended up at the University of Texas at Austin in the early 1990s. And this is where I came across border studies. And I was there at the, at the right time because border studies was just on the rise. And I wrote my thesis on Texas-Mexican border literature. And then later on for my PhD, I worked on issues of uh, identity construction in, in Chicano literature. My interest really, and this is something that I found out actually when I was a Fulbright in, in Texas, My interest in borders really also had to do with the fact that I grew up in a border area in Austria, very close to the Czech border. And I grew up there in the 70s and 80s. And I very much uh, felt that this was a border area, a borderlands uh, area, because, you know, I I, I still remember the the Iron Curtain and uh, this area, the so-called wood quarters uh, in lower Austria, were really considered kind of the end of the world. And and when I then moved uh, to Texas and when I went to school at UT Austin and people talked about the valley, Uh, the southern tip of of Texas, the border area with Mexico, I could relate. And when I read Florian Saldua's book, Borderlands La Frontera, which to this day remains one of the most important works in in border studies, I could also relate. And when I read her definition of the Texas-Mexican border, she calls uh, or refers to the border as an open wound where the third world grates against the first and and bleeds. And when these two come together, she says the lifeblood of two worlds merge to form a third space, a third country, a border culture. And and this is what I still basically work on these days. Uh, Now I, I do what I call comparative border studies, which means that I work on the 
uh, continued to work, I should say, on the U.S.-Mexican border, compare it with the U.S.-Canadian border, which has also become very important, and also compare it with other border regions, like, for example, the uh, greater region, the area where I now live and, and do my research. When you were a child, as you just said, the Austrian border demarcated an important fault line. It separated Western from Eastern Europe. I grew up in an Austria that is part of the Schengen area, which is an area of 26 European countries that have abolished all passport and border controls at their mutual borders. Um, but in the last five years, um, we have seen borders and border checks reintroduced due to the uh, quote-unquote migration crisis, um, but also more recently due to uh, COVID-19, we've seen um, border checks reintroduced. In political discourse, we often hear that our borders need to be protected. Can you talk about the symbolic power of borders? What effect do borders have on how we craft our own identity and on how we perceive others? When I came across Gloria Ansaldúa's book, which I just mentioned, it's called Borderlands La Frontera, <clears throat> this was really the first time that I heard talk about the symbolic power. Of, of borders. And uh, Ansaldúa has a lot to do with, with this notion of symbolic borders. According to her, border and border theory really emerges from the historical specificity, in her case, the U.S. and, and Mexican border. But the notion of borderlands also refers to shifting sites of transition and movement where space is contested and, and negotiated. Where we have defying, where we have notions uh, of us versus them that are being defied. We, you know, uh, have the creation of new identities, of the rise of an in between consciousness. All of these processes that ultimately also break down binaries are something that can happen in, in borderland spaces. So a border can be defined geographically, of course, but the border can also be thought as a cultural space that cuts across nation, state, cities, city uh, borders, and so on, and which are present really whenever, and this is a, you know, if I may quote from her work, they're present whenever two or more cultures edge each other when people of different uh, racial groups occupy the same territory, when, as she says, under lower, middle and upper classes touch where the space between two individuals shrink with intimacy. So this is a quote from, from Ansaldúa. And I think this shows very well this uh, symbolic power, really, that, uh, that borders have or, or exert. And it is precisely this symbolic power, I think, that we study in, in what is called cultural border studies or border studies as it's being uh, conducted in, in, in the humanities, where we focus on these spaces of the between uh, liminal spaces of intercultural contact, of multilingualism, where two languages um, meet, of hybridization, where new identities are being created, new political allegiances are being formed. So these are all, you could say, the central concern um, of border, borderland identities. Now, 
what's interesting, I think, is that this is also something that when I studied this, when I came across it in the 1990s, was very much, of course, aligned with uh, the, the dominant notions of um, uh, multiculturalism at that time and also postmodernism. And if you look at border art, for instance, uh, the work of Guillermo Gomez Peña, for instance, um, in, in San Diego and uh, in Tijuana, you see that borderland identities, this hybridity was really being celebrated, you could say, in, in borderland spaces. This is something, however, that I think has changed. This celebration has kind of gone away, you could say, as we have moved into a period of border securitization and, and border surveillance, you know, something that basically has happened since 9-11. Where now the focus is on on border conflicts, and and I think this is a um, a global trend, you could say, which you also uh, see um, in border art, which has changed from what I just described as a postmodern hype to a to a more kind of um, mundane or austere focus on on border surveillance. So we live, I think, in times of uh, renewed rebordering processes, as we call them in border studies. And this, of course, has an effect on our identities, a new focus now on a, on a we against the other, and the other uh, usually being referred to as the foreigner or the outsider, uh, the refugee, all of these uh, um, subject positions. Uh, uh, have you know been put into this uh, category? They're all border crossers. I would like to come back to the symbolism of borders and the formation of identity again, from your professional perspective, but also speaking from your experience of having lived in the U.S. and in different European countries. Would you say that the border figures differently in the U.S. versus Germany, for instance, but also other European countries? And uh, would you say that the border has a different meaning in the self-definition of the U.S. than it does in Europe? Well, absolutely, yes. On a, on a very mundane, on a very kind of everyday basis, I think that for most Americans, when they hear uh, border, uh, they think of the U.S.-Mexican border, which, uh, of course, has received a lot of attention in the past couple of years. And they probably associate borders with illegal migration, smuggling, and, and the building of, of, of the wall. This, I think, is different in Germany and, and most other European countries. But there you have to make a, a difference between uh, generations. Uh, for young people like you, you've just said this, uh, the idea of a, of a borderless world starting with the fall of the uh, Iron Curtain, you know, uh, uh, still rings a bell. And that, I think, is the most uh, important uh, thing. You know, you, you said this earlier, what the EU is all about, free movement, right, of goods and, and people. But recently, we have become aware of, of borders, so-called rebordering processes again. Now, uh, my students in the greater region uh, who grew up with absolutely no border uh, control between Germany and France or uh, Germany and Luxembourg, um, they now for the very first time experienced uh, a border, uh, well, the border was closed. There was not even a border uh, checkpoints. And this was uh, something that really shocked them, you know, that this is something that could could happen again. And of course, now with a so-called migration uh, crisis and the, the notion of fortress uh, Europe, you know, lines of separation have become important again in, in Europe and, and borders are on the news all the time. Think of Brexit, for instance, right, which is also 
of course, uh, all about borders. Um, but as I said, this is something which is relatively recent again and, uh, and something new for the, the millennial generation, for sure. Um, on an academic level, or should we say uh, historically speaking, if, if I may add that, I also think that the border figures differently in the U.S. Um, and uh, in, in Germany. In Europe, really, you could say uh, the modern understanding of borders is something that goes back to the Treaty of Westphalia of uh, 1648. This is when basically the um, uh, territorial state was established as, as the basis for the modern state system. And this, you know, led to the creation of international borders as legal territorial boundaries. And it is this kind of uh, understanding of borders that was then exported, you could say, into the rest of the world, uh, exerting imperial power and also translating this uh, concept, this understanding of borders as basically lines that contained or were supposed to contain culture. Now, um, most recently, as we've just said, it has uh, changed. I mean, in the 90s with the EU, uh, we talk about uh, debordering. This was, of course, that time when, when in, in uh, Europe, uh, borders were being uh, taken down. And now, as I've said, we speak of rebordering again, um, which is something I think that we're right um, in the middle of. And in the United States, the, the border is, I would say, more important or even more important in the self-definition of, uh, of the United States. And it's probably not so much the, the, the concept of border, which is so important, but the notion of the frontier, frontier in Westerns or frontier land of, in Disney World, right? So it, it reigns very highly, I think, in the, in the public um, imagination. And this has something to do, a lot has been said about this, with uh, the notion of the frontier, which was basically a, a framework that you know, an important historian, uh, Frederick Jackson Turner, actually mentioned as kind of like the key factor how American identity was actually produced. You know, uh, Frederick Jackson Turner uh, said um, at the end of the 19th century when the frontier was closed, that it was actually on the frontier, on the borderline, so to speak, between wilderness and civilization, as he called it, that the American, this new man, was being produced. So as you can see, the, the border is, is a very important concept in the self-understanding of the United States, and, uh, and this makes it different because this is not the case. This is not the case at all in Europe where the border does not, well, it doesn't leave kind of its traces on the identity formation. Let's talk about Europe again and look at uh, more recent developments, perhaps. Um, we already talked about borders having been reintroduced in the last five years due to increased migration. But um, just earlier this year, the COVID-19 pandemic even led to a complete shutdown of borders, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, things that we have been um, that we have become used to and accustomed to, such as free travel within Europe, um, is, is suddenly something that is immensely difficult to do. Right. Um, so how would you assess the COVID-19 pandemic from a border studies perspective? Can border theory help us in any way to analyze and understand this very unusual time better? Well, yes, let's hope so. Um, 
the the current uh, pandemic i think has exposed deep social divisions in our societies and it certainly has drawn the attention to the many challenges of marginalized communities and not only has it created new borders namely borders between home and and the outside or between inside and outside but it has also reinforced uh, borders between us and them and now you know kind of drawing new borders between the healthy and and, and the sick um, uh, for instance or it has also reinforced the digital uh, divide widening you could say the the gap now between those who have access to necessary means of communication and those who are left um, behind gender divisions core peripheral relations so all sorts of of new borders really have become prominent. I think that border studies can help analyze the current situation. It, it, it can provide us with the necessary tools and also necessary vocabulary uh, in order to you know, make sense of what's going on. And then we also know that, of course, uh, the pandemic right now knows no borders. We see that it's impossible to solve this current crisis within national paradigms. So it is clear, it seems to me, that countries have to come together and work with each other across borders. And it, it's precisely these kind of cross-border activities and how cross-border collaboration in, uh, you know, when it comes to health insurance, when it, when it comes to, to hospitals, when it comes to our ambulances allowed to cross the border and so on and so forth. Now, uh, these are all issues, you know, that, that we uh, study in border studies and we try to, to give answers to and where we also have all, you know, to work together with uh, organizations, with uh, stakeholders and so on to make that happen. So, yes, I think border studies can definitely um, help. This has been such an informative conversation, Astrid. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your research. I have one final question for you. Um, a world without borders, is that the utopia we should be striving for? Hmm, that's a difficult question. I, I think a lot of people, you know, thought that in, in, in the 1990s. That's when kind of this idea of, of a borderless world, you know, was something that people thought was worthwhile striving for, right? But I, I don't think a world without borders is, is possible. And, and, and maybe, you know, it's not something we should strive for because borders are important. We, we need borders because otherwise we couldn't construct our identities. So, I mean, bordering processes are important, you know, for meaning making, uh, in general. Um, borders are, a, you know, a philosophical category, really, also, as well as a fundamental social phenomenon. So I, I don't think, you know, we should do away with borders. But of course, if you refer to territorial borders, then yes, I strive for a rethinking of borders, or, you know, maybe I should say I strive for an understanding of borders that doesn't connect territorial state borders to such a container model of culture. Because we know that cultures, people, ethnic groups cannot be contained with borders. I think that cultural borders, that is, with its focus on cultural, symbolic, religious and identitarian borders, can do a lot of work to counterbalance the focus on states and territories and the notion that borders are physical outcomes of political, social and economic processes. Borders have been called scars of history and bleeding wounds. They exert power and are mechanisms of imposing order, as Astrid said, but they also help us to make sense of the world and construct our identities. 
While a world without borders may remain a utopian vision, global crises can only be solved in a unified effort across borders and nation states. This concludes our first episode of Diversity Conversations. I hope you enjoyed it and you will tune in again next time.